After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi, we're back. It's mind rolling. And someone very dear to me, we haven't even met in person, and we haven't talked in a long time, but uh, John Lockley, who has been on the show, he was on the show last year. John is from South Africa. He's a South African shaman, healer, in the uh, Sansoma tradition. Sangoma. Sangoma. Okay. Sangoma. Sorry. Sorry. I have that as Sangoma, and I just didn't read it properly because the ancient eyes are getting not so good. Um, but, John, welcome. Thanks, Fagu. Nice to see you again. Yeah. this is. Uh, I say this a lot because I get together with a lot of wonderful people, and I, I may see them infrequently, actually just on the podcast, on Skype. Uh, but uh, the level of connectivity that happens with these uh, podcasts is really spectacular. That uh, yeah, we keep in touch. Uh, it's like having uh, a f- well, it is a family, and we've created this family. Um, and I was just telling John about the new Be Here Now network and how all the family is now on that network. And uh, so it's great to see you, John. And uh, I uh, well, we got to catch up. Yes, it's great to be here. Thanks, Raghu. So, one of the things that you mentioned, I just because it sounded uh, like something. Boy, I'd love to do it. But you, um, and this was personal for you. You went on uh, doing tracking of uh, of uh, leopards and uh, other wild animal species near you in South Africa. No. Yes, uh, I had this vision or dream for a while to bring people into the South African bush and um, guide them through using their own senses to tracking animals like uh, leopard and lion and buffalo and you know all the wild the wild animals that we have here. Um, but uh, obviously, it's in, in private game reserves; they don't just roam around. So it's, it was quite a difficult thing for me to organise to get people to to one of these game reserves, which is bordering on Mozambique. And I call this area the Garden of Eden because it hasn't been hasn't been um, occupied by man. I mean, man hasn't lived there for hundreds and thousands of years because of the tsetse fly and malaria. Mm. So now, now we have we have man there now, but there's, uh, there's very little evidence of buildings and things like that. So you've got very raw, virgin, 
natural nature really so raw bush raw bush felt mm. so it's a very very powerful place energetically there's a lot of very strong life force energy there because of the abundance of of animals and animal life so you've got a, an incredible amount of insects and and uh, snakes and all kinds of animals not just the the big animals like lion and leopard but uh, the smaller animals like birds and then insects so i always had this dream to bring people into the raw african virgin bush so that they could connect with their own wildness so they could connect with their own spirit of of beauty their own spirit of um their own primal intuitive spirit and uh, so we did that in march and it was it was an amazing experience now so what are we talking about here we you get to this place you had how many people with you say ballpark well i, I got a group of people from america so i was very lucky we had about uh, about 27 people oh. and then it was myself and and then also uh um, one of my one of my friends who was also Sangoma, he joined me. So it was the two of us and the twenty seven people, as well as the the private game lodge that we were hosting the event at, and um, they also had trackers and they had rangers and guides to help us. Mm. So you actually went out there and but so the trackers were the ones who were obviously looking for prints and and following those leads and so on, and you, is that how it worked? Yes, yes. So we'd go out into the into the bush felt probably in the morning. It was mostly early in the morning or at sunrise, and we'd go tracking the animals. And we'd go in small little little platoons or little groups of eight people, because anything bigger would disturb the the, the animals. So we went in small groups, and everyone had the most incredible experience. I mean, I remember going with our little group, and we encountered we encountered a. Um, an elephant and the elephant was only about 10 meters away from us and it started shifting its body and as it was doing that the game ranger was explaining to us about the body language of the of the elephant and how we needed to be very still and not move and it did this kind of dance from one leg to the other and the ranger was very good he spoke in a in a very even well modulated voice and he just said we mean you no harm. We've come here to come and observe you and be with you. We mean you no harm. And then I started doing these cross of prayers, which is a little bit like this. Mm. And he told me, he said, no, don't do that. He said, we'll just keep this very calm voice, very well modulated voice. And um, he managed to whisper to the elephant a sense of calmness. And, uh, and the elephant carried on moving from one foot to the other. And then it raised its trunk it's flapped its ears and it was with us for about, I don't know, about 10 minutes or so. And then it moved back into the bush. So it was quite a magical experience. And uh, like I say, I mean, uh, these are wild animals. I need to point out these are not animals in the zoo. And um, and a wild African elephant is a, is a very dangerous creature. So we had two rangers and each of them had very large caliber rifles with them. But... Um, mm. Obviously, the last, it's the absolute last, um, last call to fire the rifle. So what they like to do is just watch the animal, watch the body language of the animal and, uh, and, and, and go like that, you know, move accordingly through the bush. Mm. So my job really with the group during the retreat time was to teach the people to connect with their own 
inner instincts to connect with their own senses. So my teachings I call the way of the leopard because my my focus with these teachings is to help people to connect with their own primal, intuitive, instinctual um, side of themselves. So how, now interestingly, these people were from the U.S., I'm from the West, yes. and we are so disconnected with any kind of relationship with nature. I mean, I'm being a little bit dramatic because, I mean, just where I live right here, yeah. Uh, in uh, in North Carolina, uh, there's a lot of nature. There's a lot of very uninhabited places in the mountains here. These are the oldest mountains in the world, apparently. And um, so I do feel a connectivity when I go out. I usually go out with my dogs and we go hiking in the woods and so on. Uh, we don't. I'm not looking to see a lot of animals so that they're going to chase around. Uh, but for the most part... This is something that is lost or, or at least getting more and more distant in our uh, immediate experience, in our culture. Uh, this uh, idea of connecting with, with nature and particularly with animals. Uh, so these people that came over with you, they um, this was talk about brand new kind of an experience, right? I mean, this is something they probably never have had any relationship with whatsoever. How to even um, lead them into a place in themselves that um, that you were just discussing, where they start to realize more of their intuitive nature? I think the first step is for any person going into the raw African bushveld, you could say, um, the first place is to encourage the people to go into their own inner landscape, their own stillness within themselves. Because if people aren't still within themselves, then it's very hard for them to connect with nature outside themselves. So, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. So the first thing I was doing was getting people to to connect with the inner landscape, their own inner landscape, so getting them to connect with their heartbeat and uh, getting them to connect with, yeah, really with a solid heartbeat inside their own chests to feel that in a strong way, to become friends with that, to surf the inner landscape inner landscape of their own hearts, their own, their own minds, to feel their, their bodies inside themselves with their eyes closed. So that's the first teaching that I was giving them. And... Um, the African bushveld is amazing because it is actually very still. It's very, very quiet. There's not a lot of noise. When there is noise, there's a reason for it. When the birds are making a noise, there's a reason. When the monkeys are making a noise, there's a reason. And often the reason is because there's a predator or there's there's a mating ritual or there's something going on. So nature is actually always talking to us. And our job is to listen, listen to nature. So the first job in listening to nature is for us to listen to ourselves. So fortunately, I've been in a position over the years of counseling a lot of people and throwing the bones and doing traditional Sangoma divination sessions for people. And people are very lost nowadays because they don't know what direction to go in their lives, whether they should marry this person or marry someone else or whether what job they should go for. So people are very lost and always looking for new kinds of information to, to give them direction. However, 
Mother Nature has equipped all of us with the right navigation tools to walk this great adventure of life. And all we have to do is listen. So sometimes I find that uh, if I'm leading groups, sometimes I find myself having to repeat myself a number of times because the people are not really listening to me. And it's a great mm-hmm. shame because I realize when I have private sessions with, them, with, with, with the people that they're not actually listening to themselves. So the mm. first part of listening is actually to dive deep into the inner landscape of your own body and to listen and feel your own heartbeat. So I always liken people listening to their own heartbeat as surfing. I mean, you literally have to feel you're surfing the wave of your own heartbeat and you need to enjoy it. If you're feeling bored, you're not doing it properly. If you're feeling frustrated, you're not doing it properly. So one of the things I encourage the people on the retreat to do is to um, put a put some some fabric around themselves, like I've got a fabric around myself now, and that helps to clothe you or kind of put some kind of covering over you. It helps you to kind of draw your awareness inwards when you're closing your eyes to listen to your heartbeat to feel it now when you're in a bit of a colder climate i recommend that people put a blanket around themselves it helps to increase that sound or that vibration of the heartbeat so closing your eyes bringing yourself inwards listening to your heartbeat and then diving into that sound or that rhythm of that heartbeat and listening to the stillness inside yourself as well as all the noises and all the emotions, but not to get attached to the emotions. Mm. So the African bush is a very still place, has all these different sounds coming in different ways, and it's it's always teaching us, it's always showing us something. So Mother Nature is constantly giving us information, but constantly teaching us. Mm. I think it's super important <clears throat> uh, for us to be able to uh, engage. I mean, even in the most simplistic things, you know, they have things now in America uh, there, where you, they're uh, tech devoid retreats. In other words, you go mm-hmm. there and you drop everything, your computer, your phone, and everything. You park it and go in, and for a week you are absolutely, you know, doing all kinds of different practices and so on. And uh, and it's for many people, it is like. Uh, an addiction that suddenly you have to go through withdrawal. I mean, there's a withdrawal. It's gotten to that point. So just doing, forget, you know, going on, on a, a retreat with you in, in South Africa to the kind of place that you went to uh, and let go into that primordial connectivity. Where in America, if you just go out for without a cell phone for a week, you know, it's like some huge accomplishment. I mean, that's how far it's come. I was even going to mention, you know, uh, just reading through uh, some of, you know, the work that you've done. Um, well, I mean, just take, for instance, it's it's hard for me, and I'm being honest, it's hard for me to understand, like connectivity with the the um, the animal as a totem for you, for instance, mm-hmm. right? You talk about that um you know, quite a, quite a bit, and certainly, you know, in this particular uh, uh, having to do with ancestral voices and connecting with your spirits. Uh, so uh, you're talking about it's called izinyanya, right? Or izinyanya, yeah, refers to our blood, and this is in Zulu and Chosa, Chosa, Chosa. 
Tsotsikosa culture, to our blood ancestors, as well as nature, plant, and animal spirits. So uh, you take people and explore ways of deepening the relationship with our ancestors, which includes plant, nature, and animal spirits, mm -hmm. and, and animal totems or guiding spirits. Uh, now, we're familiar with this because in the West, and especially in America, we're familiar with, with uh, particularly South American shaman. A lot of it has to do with the ayahuasca culture. And we're mm. certainly familiar with it through the books of Don Juan from back in the day when I first became aware of it. Uh, but meeting these spirits, how they show themselves to you, is there a reality with this without having to to be in a place where there's this primordial nature that you were just in? Uh, what do you mean by that? Is there, is there a reality to connecting with these totems and these spirits in your life? Yes, I mean, unfortunately, nowadays in South Africa, it's getting so westernized that these wild areas are restricted to game reserves, which are very exclusive and quite expensive to get into. So it's very sad for traditional healers and traditional Sangormas who suffer from, um, well, they don't suffer from it, but they just, they're just they not they're not wealthy. They don't, um, they're disadvantaged financially. So a lot of them don't actually get to experience a real lion or even go to the zoo because they don't have the financial resources. But the interesting thing with a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my Sangoma colleagues, is that they they will dream about the animals. So they know about the spirit of the lion, the spirit of the leopard, because they come in their dreams. So the area that I have been brought up in and, and trained in is the Eastern Cape, and about, so now it's 2016, so about 200 years ago, there were leopard, lion, and elephant roaming free, 200 years. So that ancestral memory of my friends, of their ancestors, of their family members is still very, very strong. So that's why they still dream about these animals in a very real, in a very mystical way, because even though they're not roaming around them now, they are still in the game reserves, probably about 50 kilometers away, and their spirit is still talking to them, still teaching them mm. through their ancestors. So that is one thing that I find very, um, very strong and, and, and really incredible about my friends in the community that I, that I work with. Mm. So even though they don't get to experience the animals like a lot of Westerners can, they still experience their spirits and their dreams, mm. and they speak to me about that. So that's, a, that's, that's quite incredible. Yeah, that's... That's a real strange thing when you really think about it, right? That It's you, strange. They don't get to see them physically yeah. because they can't get to those game reserves because they don't have the cash to actually go in and and, and do what uh, what a lot of people can do. They don't have the, the financial resources, unfortunately. But yet they still get the dreams of the lion, of the leopard, of the wild cats. Mm. And they still get to experience the essence, the soul of the animal speaking to them. So in your work, you're you're sharing this with people, and through you, they they can get the essence of of what it is to relate with a with a spirit. Such yes. Well, I don't do it for people. I have to always be very clear about that. I don't do it for them. I teach them how to do it for themselves, mm -hmm. and if they decide not to do that, they can't blame me. It's mm -hmm. their choice. So the first thing I always teach people doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter if they meet them, meet me for the first time or whether they just come for a public talk. The first thing I encourage people to do is to connect with their own spirit. So each person has a persona or mask 
or the way you look. So I have blonde hair, blue eyes. This is the way I look. And this is the name I give to this look is John. <laughs> However, I am more than just the way I look. There's something else going on. I have a spirit. So the first thing, if someone's training to become a Sangoma or someone is a client, the first thing we teach people is how to connect with your own spirit, your own soul. Because that is that part of you that is always connected to the dream time. And that's that part of you that is immortal. So when you are connected to your soul in a deep way, then you are listening to your heartbeat. You are listening to your dreams. And then the animals come and teach you. So all it requires is a little bit of stillness, a little bit of dedication, a little bit of concentration, and listening to the inner voice. Focusing on your heartbeat is the doorway to connecting with your soul, with your own spirit. So first you connect with your own spirit, your own soul, then you connect with your ancestors, and then you connect with the plant and animal worlds. But if you don't have a connection with your own soul and your, or your own spirit, then it could just be your imagination or what you say in America, your ego speaking. Now, if your ego is speaking, then you're working from the place of desire, of, 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 of um, yeah, the place of desire, of what you want to happen, what you want to manifest rather than the truth. So most of us are very wounded. And in the Sangoma world, we talk about the wounded healer. So often our spirit is showing itself to us in those places where, which are wounded, where there's pain. So the Sangoma teaching is about feeling your pain, feeling your suffering, breathing into it, pray to it, call in the great spirit, call in your ancestors, call in the saints, whatever your tradition is, pray, and then let go and trust and then listen. Mm. So that's how we train people. So a human being is a very powerful creature, but also a very wounded and vulnerable creature. And it's not about getting away from the woundedness and the vulnerability. It's about embracing it. So again, if you look at the wild, wild uh, the wilderness, um, if you look in, in the, the African wilderness, if you look at the elephant, you look at the lion, you look at the buffalo, if they hurt their, their leg, they are very vulnerable. They're vulnerable to attack. They're vulnerable to predators. They're vulnerable in terms of being able to feed themselves. So when you observe a leopard in the bush, often the leopards are solitary and they're going about their business on their own. And again, if they get a thorn in their foot or in their paw, they are very vulnerable. So I've, I've observed the anim animals for, for years, and I've always been amazed at the incredible vulnerability of the animals in the bush, like the leopard and the lion, that they need each other to survive, and they need to really tune in to their own instincts. So human beings, we always try to be tough. We try to mask our toughness, whereas the animals in the bush and the wilderness in Africa, they... They, they're aware of their vulnerability, but they tune into something a bit deeper. They're tuning into their instincts, and that's how they survive. So that survival instinct is not pushing aside their, wounded, their woundedness or their vulnerability or the fact that they, they're going to die one day or they're going to get older. They accept that as part of life. 
So with us as human beings, we need to accept our vulnerabilities and accept the fact that one day we will die and we will get old. And the way we can deal with that is by connecting to that part of ourselves, which is always connected to the dream time, that part of ourselves which doesn't die. Whenever we go to sleep at night, we connect into that part of ourselves. And that's our spirit. That's our soul. So that's what the animals can teach us to to do. Um, some of this is so analogous, of course, with uh, Eastern thought. And part yes. of this, of course, uh, and I haven't really mentioned this. Some of you guys got to go back and check out. Uh, John tells his story of becoming um, uh, one of the few, if only white people, uh, that was accepted in the Sangoma tradition. And he tells that story, so you can go out and check that out. But one of the things that's part of his story is his uh, studies uh, in the East, particularly around Zen Buddhism. So if you hear you hear that, uh, his understanding of that is, uh, is pretty uh, amazing, uh, mixed in with, of course, uh, his heritage here uh, that he's speaking of right now. And there's one interesting thing, John, uh, for me. There's one thing that you do. It includes a naming ceremonies where people call out their birth names. And, and you say someone's name is seen as their first gift from their parents and is a vital <clears throat> link to unlocking one's destiny. Yes. Talk about yes. that for a minute. Cause, and then I'll tell you my own thing about that, which is uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, um, the first thing I just want to say, there are a number of white people nowadays who are trained to become Sangomas. So, mm, okay. um, I was one of the first in recent history, as far as my elders knew, there had been other white people, but um, they weren't clear about it since apartheid. So I'm fortunate to, to, to be one of the pioneers, or one of the first, but at the same time, it's nice to see a lot of other people coming in, and it's not really about the color of skin anymore. Mm-hmm. It's really about your, your calling and what your dreams are saying to you. So I just need to mention that. Um, Yes, the naming the naming ceremony I do when I do a workshop, I encourage people to say their names because it's the first gift that your your mother and father give to you is your name, your first name. And then I also encourage people to mention their surname, you know, the, the surname of your of your mother and the surname of your father, because that uh, when you vocalize that and you verbalize that, you are connecting to your DNA, you're connecting to to something which is very ancient inside of you. And as you say that name, then you're also helping to wake it up and wake up those memories. So every nation of man has got gifts. So it doesn't matter what color your skin is, where you come from. Our duty as human beings is to connect with our ancestors, with our roots, because once you connect with your roots and where you come from, then it's easier for you to connect with your gifts. And then it's easier for you to connect with your instincts, your survival tools. And then on top of that, it's easier for you to find your place in the world and find a place of harmony, balance, and happiness. Mm. So it's a very simple practice I do when I do my workshops. It's, it's just literally people saying their names and lighting a, a stick of incense and putting it in an earth altar and uh, doing it in a particular, um, particularly kind of mindfulness way where you are conscious and you are saying in the name of your mother's people and father's people. And I've been amazed to see the effect of, on people and how their lives have changed just from that little gap of five or ten minutes where they're saying their name and people get very emotional. 
and um, and then they get dreams. So they get the dreams of their ancestors. So uh, yeah, it's a very powerful thing, and it comes from our my practices as Sangoma in South Africa. We'd always say that when you start a training, a Sangoma training or calling, it's very important for you to bring in your ancestors, bring in your mother's people and father's people, because you are a child of a generation behind you, and you can never ever forget that. Hmm. We are just one shoot in a tree that goes below us mm. and in front of us. Mm. And this almost, yeah, we go back thousands and thousands of, of years as human beings. And when we say the names of our grandparents and our ancestors, then we connect to something which is very primordial and very ancient, and we help to awaken it. So this whole practice is really about humility. It's really about connecting to something beyond ourselves. It's about dealing with the world of us, not the world of I, my, me. It's the world of me and my ancestors and the plants and animal spirits. It's not just I, my, me. So if you look at the Western world today, the world of I, my, me, the world of the individual is actually killing the planet. So what we need to do as human beings is realize that uh, each person is important, but no more important than the next person or the animal or the bird, that we all are connected in the stream of life the circle of life, and we need to respect all of it, which means calling in your ancestors and realizing that you are not alone, that you are connected to a, an incredible tree of humanity that goes back thousands of years. Hmm. Okay, so take me. I got named by my parents. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever told anybody on, the, on this podcast, but it, my, my given name is Mitchell Marcus. Yes. Then I... Um, Fast forward 20-odd years, 23 years, 40 years later, three, uh, I meet someone named Ramdas mm -hmm. and find a truth that I had been looking for. And he introduces me by way of following over him over back to India uh, soon after meeting him, a year and a half after meeting him, and, uh, and then met my guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Mm -hmm. Who gives me a name? <clears throat> he named most of us, actually, at that time. Yes. And so here, uh, I actually got two names, but that's way too complex to go into. But my name, uh, Raghu, is actually a, a, a nickname of my full name, which is unpronounceable, basically Raghvindradas, which means servant of the Lord of the Raghus. It's the same as Ramdas. Okay, so, John... Mm -hmm. What can you tell me about being renamed in that fashion related to what you just said? Okay, well, that's wonderful. So if I was working with you, if you came to one of my ceremonies, I would say, what is the name of your mother's people before she, before your mother married your father? What was her maiden name? Godel. 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 Okay, so do you have any middle names? Joel. Joel. So you are Mitchell Joel Marcus Godel. Or Godel Marcus, yeah. Yeah, Godel Marcus, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I know in the Mexican tradition or the Mexican people, they always mention the mother's maiden name as well in terms of the surname. It's always a double-barreled surname. Mm. And what happens there is that I notice with the Mexican people that they're very 
connected to the feminine. So there's more of a balance straight away in, in the person. So what we're trying to do with these ceremonies is bring that balance back into people. And but you do it yourself. So I would what I would recommend you do is you would you would get a stick of incense and you'd stick it into an earth altar at our little ceremony, let's say at a workshop, and you would say, My name is is um Mitchell, Joe, Joel, Joe. Godel, Marcus. Yeah. And then you'd also say the names that your, your teacher gave you. Yeah. So you would say Ragu and the other name as well. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying your names, you'd also include initiated names or the names that teachers have given you. So when I'm saying my names and I'm doing a ceremony, I always mention the names my teacher gave me and and other teachers and also my zen names but the first names are always mentioned as the names that my parents gave me and the names of my birth and my bloodlines so those are the first names because that's that's the beginning of your personality that's the beginning of your your creation mm. uh, yeah. it makes a lot of sense in actually in reality the the way that i feel now about getting that name um is in complement to the original name that I had pointing to the higher self and being able to relate with that higher self, but then also obviously uh, understanding the root of where I came from. So that's the way I've understood it all since I've gotten it. So you confirm that. Yes. Thank you. Yes, it's all about the root. And sometimes with people... They, they might have major changes in their lives or they might be transgender and they might be changing their, their own gender and um, or they maybe they adopted and and then they get the name of their, their adopted parents. Whatever it is, I always say to people that if you can come, you can use the name that you're given at your birth as the first names and then you can finish up with the names that you're using now. That's fine. That's no problem. But as you do that, you're connecting to, to who you are on this earth plane. And if you do it in a very mindful way, with a bit of stillness, listening to your heartbeat, you will find that you become more grounded and your sense of direction and your sense of rootedness improves. Hmm. So a lot of my workshops or retreats are about that, helping people to say their names, connect with their feet, connect with their vision, connect with their dreams. But the beginning is always to just announce yourself and call in your ancestors in a very, very simple but, but profound way. I want to move along a little here. We've, uh, there's something of interest for me here because we have been talking about it on Mind Rolling podcasts uh, of late. And that's around the topic, uh, which is the byword of the culture right now, mindfulness. Hmm. Um, and a lot misunderstood, uh, I feel. People interpreting it as, oh yes, mindfulness, more success, more goal-oriented, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which is part of how we deal with things in the West, even meditation. You know, I'm hmm. going to get better at meditation, which has nothing to do with meditation. Um, but uh, the the interesting combination that you've talked about uh, that I've seen is mindfulness. You know your combination of mindfulness and African shamanism, and and you also 
bring in your whole experience with Zen, which is all about mind. You know, true mindfulness is is a Zen moment. And you talk about the uh, Zen circle, which includes p- past, present, and future. Um, talk about your take on uh, this this really synthesis that you've uh, that you that's unique, I believe, of, of mindfulness and the shamanism that you're steeped in. Well, it's unique, but at the same time, all traditional shamanism, all traditional mystical traditions around the world have this, have all these elements. So, for example, the Zen circle is also the Ubuntu circle. Ubuntu circle in Cross and Zulu is the kraal. Ubuntu means humanity. So, when you start looking into ancient cultures, you will find that it's all very, very similar. It's just how we're expressing it. So I'm expressing it, expressing it in this particular way. I'm communicating it in this way because that's been my experience. I trained in Zen Buddhism first when I got the calling to become a Sangwama because I wasn't able to go into the townships because being white and being brought up in the Civil War and the apartheid time, I wasn't able to find my teacher. So I was guided through my dreams to go to Zen and work with Zen masters. However, after working with Zen and then finding my Sangoma teachers, I found a great similarity between my Zen master and my Sangoma teacher, Mam Gwevu, as well as other Sangoma teachers that I've met. So the Sangoma practice is about prayer, connecting with your spirit, with your soul, connecting with the face before you're born, which they say in Zen, and then connecting with your, your future, connecting with your direction, your calling in the world. So, for example, in Zen, one of the kongans or riddles is, what is the face before you're born? And what is your face going to be when you die? And my teacher would ask me that, my Zen master, Subong. And I would say, he says, what is it? What is the face before you're born, John? And I would say, I don't know, sir. And he says, you must find the answer. So you practice. What is the face before I was born? And then the response is, breathing out, I don't know. And then you let go, you surrender. And then the dreams come. So what happens there when you're connecting to the face before you're born, you're connecting to basically your soul, your spirit. And the way you do that is through this process of listening, a deep form of listening. That's what mindfulness is. Mindfulness, true mindfulness is listening, is surrendering, is letting go. And it's listening to the sounds inside of you and outside of you without judgment. To just listen is mindfulness. So if you had to speak to a Shangan person near Mozambique and you're going through the bush and you're looking for a lion, they would say, And even Gorg. So what I'm saying in English is, you're walking through the bush, and you're with a guide and a ranger, and you're close to Mozambique, and it's very hot outside, and the guide will say, listen quietly, listen to the wind. What is the wind saying? Listen to your nose. What is your nose saying? Smell deeply. What are your senses saying? 
So radical mindfulness is radical listening without judgment, without ego, just listen. So when we are listening to ourselves in a process of, let's say, meditation, sitting on a cushion and you're doing a, a Buddhist practice or any kind of mindfulness practice, it's to really listen to the sounds inside of you. So you listen to your own heartbeat and then you're listening to your own emotions and you're letting them go. Ancient people, traditional people, our own people here in Ireland, the Celts, when they're going into the land, they're going into the forests and they have to hunt, they have to make their way through, through, the, through the wilderness, through the nature. Their way of survival was to listen. Now that was the first meditation, mindfulness practice, is just listening. Because if they didn't listen, they would not survive. So now there's great talk about mindfulness but from what I can see with a lot of people, they're not listening, not listening properly. And my job is to listen as deeply as I can. So I don't know if I'm a good listener or not. I can't say to you, Raghu, that I'm a good listener. But what I can say to you is I make it my business to try and listen more deeply. And if I fail sometimes, then I must apologize and say I'm sorry to friends and family. I haven't listened deeply enough, and I'm sorry for that. But this, this is my practice, to listen. Fantastic. I just went through this uh, pretty much exact conversation, uh, and, and I said to somebody, there's, there's one particular uh, quote, and I... I still haven't found out who who said this and can't find the damn thing. The most generous thing that you can do in this life for another person is give them complete attention, listening. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. uh, and I said mm -hmm. in this podcast, I forget who it was with, um, I am a prime offender of not being able to engage in deep listening. Mm -hmm. And it is, is one of the most um, formidable practices that I work on and, and I'm trying to work on. So I am with you, John, all the way. I'm trying as well. All we can do is keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And one of the beauties in going into nature, it doesn't matter whether it's the African bushveld or it could be where you're living in Colorado, or could be where the listeners are living, wherever you're living, just go outside, go for a walk and s turn your phone off and just listen. Listen to your own heartbeat, listen to the sound your feet make as you're going through the forest or going on the road. And as you start to listen more deeply, then the next thing you can do is to start to feel. Feel your spine, feel the wind. Where does the wind touch your body? Does it touch you on the left or the right? What direction is the wind moving? Watch the trees. What are the trees doing? What sound do the trees make? What are you smelling? And so on. That's the process of mindfulness. The process that our ancestors used to survive. Hmm. Um, th the, I think a, a beautiful entry point for people, and hmm. we espouse and have on the Be Here Now Network uh, 
a number of uh, meditation teachers in the classical um, insight meditation tradition of Vipassana, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it. Um, and certainly the breath is, is an entry point there. But I, I just, in reading through stuff and in, a, you know, in this talk and so on, it keeps coming back to the heartbeat. Is there a, is there a practice that, that you can suggest that allows people to actually sit and, and be with themselves that way as an entry point? Yes, yes. I can go through it with a listener, with, with, um, with people listening right now. There's a couple of techniques. It's a couple of simple techniques. Depends on your on your awareness. And uh, so the first thing people can do is just sit quietly at home and put a blanket around you because a blanket or some kind of fabric around you does help to magnify the sound of your own heartbeat and helps you to bring your awareness inwards. So you can put your hand literally on your heartbeat and you can just feel it there. You just close your eyes, breathe into your heart, feel it. Or you can bring your fingers together. I like this kind of mudra. Oh. Sorry about that. Some of the uh, local animals here taking part. <laughs> Say that the again. Wilderness. Yeah. <laughs> the wilderness is everywhere. <laughs> yes, put your so fingers just, together. Start, that you can be... bring your, I, like to bring, um, I like to bring my fingers together and, uh, and then close my eyes and breathe in and out. And I feel... I can start within a few seconds to actually feel my heartbeat, feel the pulse. So you want to, with this practice, you want to physically feel your own heartbeat, feel that pulse. And then you breathe into it. And you can also welcome it. So as I start to feel my own heartbeat, I can even speak to it like another entity inside of me. I'll go, hello, how are you doing, my heart friend? Are you tired right now? What's happening with you? Ah, thank you. I thank you. I thank you for your energy and what you're giving me. And now I'm going to give back to you. And I'm going to give back to you through my breath and through my my observation and through my listening. But I'm going to breathe into you. So I'm going to literally breathe. And I literally breathe into that pulse and watch the pulse change. I want to start to surf you. I want to start to ride that rhythm. I want to enjoy that rhythm. So I put my fingers together and I feel my own heartbeat and I do it like that. Now, if that's difficult for a listener, they can put their hand on their heart. And if they're feeling comfortable with that, breathing in and out, that's wonderful. Otherwise, what they could also do is also put their mm. um, their fingers on their pulse points. Yeah. So just that pulse point, you can find the thumb and move your finger along the thumb just to that pulse point and breathe into that. Just have it resting on the table or on your lap. Breathe into that. Mm. So first you feel the pulse. Breathe into it. Welcome your heartbeat. Say thank you. Some form of gratitude. Just being aware of the gift of blood, the gift of the heartbeat, the gift of life. And then breathe into those spaces between each beat. Mm. And feel like you in a sea, and you could be surfing, you could be on a on a board, and beneath you is this water, and all there is is this pulse keeping you alive, keeping you alive, and you breathe into that pulse. And believe, the more you breathe into that pulse, your life will change. Mm. 
believe each time you're breathing into that pulse, into that heartbeat, you, you, you're feeding your heart, you're feeding your body, you're feeding this beautiful injection of oxygen, of energy, of joy. Breathe into that. And let go. Now, if you are like a lot of people, a lot of us, and, and myself included, some days I'm struggling, I've got a lot of emotional things happening or whatever is happening to me. Another technique which I find very, very helpful if you have a lot of stuff going through your mind is to get some simple foam earplugs and you put those earplugs in your ears, you get them at any, um, any, any drugstore, any pharmacist around the world. Just these simple foam earplugs are incredible. You put them into your ears and you'll feel your heartbeat in your ears. Mm. You'll feel it in your whole body. Right. And you don't, you just have your hands together and you will feel your heartbeat. And that will help to calm you down. Mm. Because uh, we have to remember as children, what did we do as children? Well, when we were having a tough time, we just crawled up to our mom and we put our ear to our mother's chest. And she would hold us close to us and then we would fall asleep that way so the technique here is for you to connect with your own heartbeat in the similar way that you connect with your mother's heartbeat which means to feel that rhythm and to rest with it to let go into it feel it and go ah and let go into it and as you can start to enjoy your own heartbeat something amazing starts to happen in your life you start to experience true mindfulness, which is the ability to listen with joy. Because our first responsibility as human beings is to listen to our own heartbeats with joy and to surrender and let go into that. And once you do that, then it's easier to accept someone else. It's easier to sit with a friend. Right. And the next thing is I'm in conversation with you now, Raghu. And as I'm sitting, my question is, am I connected to my own heartbeat while I'm breathing in and out and talking to you? Am I watching it? Maybe I'm talking too quickly, so I need to slow down and listen to my own heartbeat, breathe, listen to you, and the next thing to try and tune into your heartbeat. And when we start to do that, then real communication starts happening. Beautiful, John. I mean... Absolutely. If if we all just did that one thing, that, <laughs> that one thing, we would be with able it, to really... Joy, to, yeah, listen to your heart with joy. That's the first mm. thing, you know? Mm. So beautiful. I, You know, I think this is... We've talked about this before. I think this uh, we're getting closer to the end um, of the podcast. So I think since we've gotten into a bit of a meditative space here, I wonder if you couldn't, I asked you to just do a little with some of the instruments, the flute and so on, uh, be a, a meditation that can connect us into that inner spirit. Do you mind? Yes, I'd love to do that. So um, I think I, I really like these rattles. Do you mind if I use the rattles a little bit to begin with? Sure. No, do whatever or do you, you want. Do you want to go straight into the flute? Okay. Do a little rattle. So, yeah, just get that'll get people's attention here. Okay. Okay. The rattles are very good. If I can just say to the listeners, the rattles are very good to actually bring you into your body because a lot of us have uh, very busy minds nowadays, especially if you we're busy no, and busy. you've got you, you've got uh, 
a busy schedule and you're listening to all these words. And so the rattles are very good to just neutralize the white noise. Mm, right. <laughs> and then I'm going to bring the flute in and a bit of singing. And I recommend that the listener just starts breathing into your own heartbeat. Just feel the pulse in your, in your veins, in your heart, on your wrists. And just see what starts to happen as we start singing and breathing and going deep into that. Wonderful. Okay, so here we go. Breathe deep. 
Listen to your heart. Listen without judgment. Breathe into it. Love it. Feel the joy of the breath. Feel the joy of the heartbeat. Manyange, Tamagutikawam, Siabulela, Tamago, Uyiva Mumoya, Tamago, Uyiva Mapupa, Tamago, Amango, Tamago, Siangola Banabadala, Siangola Bazali Bam, Siangol is in Yanezabo, Siangola is in Yanezam, City Tamago, Amango, Tamago. So, what I'm saying in English is we honor and praise the great spirits, we honor and praise our ancestors, and we honor and praise Umoya. Umoya means the wind. The wind inside ourselves, the wind in the trees, the wind moving through us and into the animal world, into the lion world, into the dream world. We listen to the wind inside of us, we release it, and we listen to the wind outside ourselves. And we, we say, Siangola, Ngomoya. We honor and praise the wind, the spirit of life. Mm. God, that was so great, John. I mean, certainly taking us back way back and way deep boy i i mean i'm yes i'm at a loss for words thank you for that uh, there's there's uh before we go your teacher your teacher's name sangoma teacher malidome uh, i've worked with malidome um he's a friend of mine but my teacher's oh. name is mamguevu okay. mamguevu mamguevu so i I picked up this quote, so I'm not sure if it's from Maledome or from your teacher, but you'll know. Um, yes. And to me, this is this surmises everything. We need to surrender to and accomplish. Yes. We must dream the impossible, seek the beauty of sharing wisdom through the cracks of our longing and usher into reality the possibility of a world village glued together by a concert of wisdom. Yes. That's Melodoma. Melodoma Somme. Yeah. Yeah, Melodoma Somme. That is... Beautiful words. Beautiful mm. words. Words mm. that we need, as I said, we just need to follow in these times. Uh, not to get... Uh, 
too dramatic here, but uh, we're in dramatic times, I think. And uh, and I really appreciate the, the work that you're doing and, and that you're coming over here from South Africa and spending time here in the U.S. and working with people. And, uh, and I want you to just, uh, I mean, I can tell everybody, go to johnlockley.com, J-O-H-N-L-O-C-K-L-E-Y.com. Is that good? That sounds good. Yeah, Great. Okay. And I'll After be in America. screwing up uh, Sangoma <laughs> at the beginning, I apologize for that. Um, people, go there. John, give us a little bit of your schedule. You will be in America. And this will all be on the site, by the way. You go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and go to Mind Rolling, and we'll have it on the page, a link to uh, John's schedule. But you'll be here in October, correct? That's right. I fly into Portland on the 1st of October, and I've got a number of events planned in Portland, Oregon. And then I go to Colorado, Boulder, Colorado, and then I go to Manitou Springs. So there's uh, there's different events and, and workshops, retreats and private sessions being held at those three places. So Portland, Boulder, Colorado, and Manitou Springs, Colorado. Great. So people. And then I'm going to Hawaii, but then that's just for fun to hang out with people like yourself and yeah. Ram Das and other people. <laughs> yes, yes, and we will have fun. Uh, and uh, take advantage, and, and and even if not, I know John does uh, d- Skype sessions with people. I do, basically. yes, yep. yes, I do Skype yeah. sessions too, yes. Yes, and, and as you can tell, we're doing a Skype session right now for this podcast, and as you yes. can tell by this wonderful um, uh, practice that uh, John d- did to take us inward, um, they can be as effective as that's the beauty of the technology as much as the downside of the technology that draws us away from that inner exploration that I was talking about on a previous podcast. The beauty is mm. that we can actually connect this way when previously that would not have been possible. So it's a it's the old double edged sword, isn't it? And something else to talk about on a future podcast. So thank you yes. so much, John. It's been great as usual. And uh Everybody, this is Mind Rolling. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Thanks Rocco. All, right. All the best. Thank you. Thank you.